This is SG2 Perspectives, a conversation with SG2 experts and industry thought leaders about the biggest trends in healthcare and what we expect that's going to mean for the future of healthcare delivery. We're projecting them to grow 2% over the 10 years, and length of stay is going to increase with a projected increase of inpatient days of 8%. For many hospitals that have a fixed number of beds and are really at capacity, this increase in length of stay and increase in inpatient days is going to be quite challenging. Welcome to SG2 Perspectives. I'm your host, Jamie Zage. I'm really excited this week. I've got two amazing guests with me. I have so much fun working with them on our IOC forecast every year. Dr. Maddie McDowell and Tori Ritchie are joining me today to talk about the SG2 2022 Impact of Change forecast. We went through a pandemic where volumes plummeted in a lot of cases across the country. Let's set the stage. Where are we today in our volume recovery? Overall, if we're focusing on that inpatient setting, we've had the opportunity to take a look at a couple of comparative databases and leveraging Vizient CDB data. We were still 5% down in 2021 compared to 2019 volumes. The good news is we do expect those volumes are going to return, but right now hospitals, their daily census is a bit lower than pre-COVID. As we shift to the ED, we've seen a couple of different stats here, ranging anywhere from 15% below pre-pandemic levels to 7% below for those more AMC cohort. But ED volumes are also still down. A bright spot, perhaps, in volume recovery is outpatient surgery is back. We actually saw some growth here last year, perhaps due to some of that deferred care and folks coming back into the healthcare system for procedures that they perhaps deferred during the height of the pandemic. Maddie, am I missing anything here? I think the interesting thing is people feel full. When we talk to our clients, they say, we think we've recovered and maybe even surpassed volumes. But when we look at the overall data, we're down. And as Tori said, we're 5% down for 21 and inpatient. It's actually 12% down if you remove COVID. So those regular hospital admissions are way down in 2021. And part of this has to do with the workforce shortages that are really challenging the number of staffed beds and the ability to provide that care. The other thing to mention, in 2022, during Omicron, we began to see an uptick in ED volumes when we were looking at specific hospitals. And we think that has to do with infectious disease volumes coming back. People stopped wearing masks and social distancing even during that surge in many parts of the country. Keep in mind, as we begin to relax those social distancing measures, hospitals are going to see more of those infectious disease volumes and also the conditions impacted by infectious disease. Literally everything's impacted by infectious disease, heart attack, stroke, but the big ones are asthma and COPD. Is there any impact on length of stay here that maybe is influencing how the hospitals are feeling full versus the volumes that we're seeing? Is length of stay going up? Anecdotally, I would say yes, absolutely. Length of stay is affecting how busy these hospitals feel. We don't have that data at the present, but we do know that length of stay is going up. That's something that certainly we've kept a pulse on in recent years. It's part of that rising acuity story and bed days are going to continue to grow over the coming decade. So this feeling of contending with that volume ebb and flow, days are going to continue to rise and you need to contend with that and those capacity implications. We have looked at it in the CDB as well during COVID, and there were some interesting phenomena. It really depended on the time in COVID. There was times length of stay went up a lot, and then they went down. And it really had to do with the management of COVID, particularly, and how that was impacted and those surges. But yes, 
generally before COVID and what we're predicting after the pandemic is a gradual rise in length of stay due to the fact that we have rising acuity in our inpatient population, sicker patients, as those lower acuity, shorter length of stay patients continue to shift out of the inpatient setting. We're left with the remaining population being sicker and having longer length of stay. In fact, we're projecting an 8% increase in inpatient days in the next decade. Thanks for that insight. I know we always make changes to the forecast. Some of it's structural. Some of it is we've got new stories to tell. What are some of those key updates to the forecast this year? For the last two years, we have had a 10-year forecast, but it's been baseline year 2019 because of the unstable volumes in 2020. We were really not able to forecast off of that. But this year, we are starting at 2022, which is very good, and we will have a 10-year forecast from 2022. So we've marched ahead three years in our forecast. There's been some changes in the 10-year output because we're adding a different time frame. One of the changes is that inpatient volumes are going to be growing. We're projecting them to grow 2% over the 10 years. And as I mentioned earlier, length of stay is going to increase with a projected increase of inpatient days of 8%. For many hospitals that have a fixed number of beds and are really at capacity, which is something that was exposed during COVID was how many hospitals were already at capacity, particularly ICU beds. This increase in length of stay and increase in inpatient days is going to be quite challenging. Another part of our forecast that's important to mention is we have continued to see shifts from the inpatient setting to the outpatient setting. We saw that with the shift to observation for medical admissions. We saw that for surgeries like total joint replacement. We're beginning in our 10-year timeframe to see that some of those shifts begin to slow, that we reach a floor. Total joint replacement is now at about 78% outpatient, and we expect it to go up to 90% and really stabilize around 2027, so in five years. What that means is the inpatient surgery volumes are going to no longer decline on the inpatient setting. We're going to see an uptick in those of about 4%. At the same time, we're going to see ongoing shifts in surgery to those ambulatory settings. So the ambulatory surgery center is projected to see high growth with new cases as well as organic demand for the cases that are already there. And then the physician office is a place for specific select specialties to perform surgeries, and that is also growing. Yeah, Jamie, another key update to the forecast this year was really thinking about how Medicare Advantage is changing the landscape in terms of how patients are accessing and utilizing care. Nationally, MA penetration hovers around 45, 46% right now. And the Congressional Budget Office is expecting that MA is going to surpass traditional Medicare enrollment by 2030. So that's going to have very real implications on how those individuals are accessing and utilizing care. We're expecting an uptick in preventative and wellness services within a corresponding decline in things like ED visits, potentially avoidable admissions and the like. So that was something we worked to incorporate in our hyperlocalization forecast this year, really capturing that nuance based on market level MA penetration and what that projected growth is for that population over the coming years. We talked a lot about during our forecasting process that there is an acuity level that is rising in the inpatient setting. Tell us more about that. What specific service lines? How does that manifest? Maddie, what does that mean when we talk about rising acuity? One of the areas that we're going to see increased growth is in cardiovascular. 
what we're seeing is the incident rates of cardiovascular disease are creeping up since 2012. And the survivorship for particularly congestive heart failure is resulting in many people living longer. And so we're going to see an increase in admissions, particularly for congestive heart failure, which is the largest volume admission for cardiology. In addition to this, we have more capabilities to surgically treat these patients. And so valve replacement surgery is also projected to grow significantly because we have those minimally invasive approaches like TAVR that can be used on expanded populations. So that's another area of growth in terms of higher acuity patients. Overall, we have a tertiary grouper where we group the DRGs that are most likely to be performed at a tertiary hospital. We use our CDB data insights to figure out what those DRGs are that are exclusively performed at a tertiary hospital, all the way down to about 90% performed. What we find with those DRG groupings is our forecast is projecting 30% growth in discharges and a 17% growth in days. It's a smaller population in your hospital, but they are growing. And for certain AMCs, it could mean significant increased demand on their already tapped out bed supply. Another area we're seeing rising acuity is in the emergency department. As we've shifted those lower acuity ED visits out of the ED due to alternative care models like urgent care clinics, EMT programs like the ET3 program, virtual visit triage, We are seeing in the ED a higher proportion of those emergent patients and a higher proportion of patients that are going to be admitted to the hospital. That does put some strains on resources for the ED. And so while ED volumes are projected to be flat to declining, the case mix is becoming higher acuity. Another interesting piece about the rising acuity story is this extends beyond the hospital because as you have patients leaving these high acuity settings and transitioning them to ambulatory sites, that patient mix that you're getting in those outpatient care sites is more complex and is going to also require additional resources, access to specialists and the like. We're really starting to see this play out in the ASC as surgical procedures are leaving that hospital outpatient department to go to the ambulatory surgical center. So be prepared for that shift as well. This isn't isolated to the four walls of the hospital. Thank you for that. Let's talk a little bit about virtual health. We saw a huge uptick in adoption of virtual visits during the pandemic. Where are we today? What have we learned through this process? The uptick in virtual visits during the pandemic has really taught our expert team a lot about the adoption of virtual. It increased suddenly during the lockdowns in 2020 to about 60% of all visits being performed virtually. And it has gradually reverted back to in-person to a large degree. So now about 13% of all office visits are performed virtually in the end of 2021, at least. What we found, though, that was a significant variation by specialty. For psychiatry, we saw those visits not revert back. They remained high at about 60% of all psychiatric E&M visits being performed virtually. And orthopedics at the low end going down to 3% of all visits E&M. But taught us a lot about the fact that there are certain specialties that are going to be more amenable to virtual visits. They may not need physical exams or ancillaries, procedures performed at the time of the visit. And so they'll be more likely to sustain growth or continue to grow in terms of virtual adoption. 
Another thing that we did learn during the pandemic was the combination of remote monitoring and new care models can really do a lot for providing care in the home. And the phrase care at home can mean a lot of different things because it is providing a whole spectrum of services in the home, oftentimes digitally and remotely, that can really make a big difference in terms of clinical outcomes and quality, as well as reducing costs. So we've developed a whole suite of home procedures that we are forecasting today, and we expect to see a lot of innovation in this space. Behavioral health is one that I have tracked and been a part of on and off over the years. We're seeing access issues, demand. What does our forecast tell us about behavioral health? What would we highlight about that? The thing that's so tricky about behavioral health is we know that the demand exceeds the supply that's available. So our forecasting team really takes into account, even though there is all of this demand, what is reasonably going to show at your hospital, at one of your sites of care. That said, we are projecting strong growth across the service line. On the adult side, behavioral health is growing 6% over the course of the decade. Pediatrics is also seeing a bit of growth as well. We're continuing to see these patients need and require ED services. So strong growth on the ED side, as well as those intensive outpatient and partial hospitalization services. We're talking double digit growth in the next five years for both adult and peds here. It's really a call to action of meeting these patients where they need care, building out those access points. And we recognize in controlling and helping these individuals manage their behavioral health conditions, there are downstream impacts. It prevents other chronic conditions or other disease states from really manifesting and exacerbating, thus requiring even more resources from your system. So absolutely continues to be a big story here in terms of growth and rising acuity. Our forecast shows that adult inpatient discharges for behavioral health growing 5%, but pediatrics growing 11% in five years. And one thing we have looked at when we do our validation testing on our forecast to actuals is that behavioral health inpatient is closely tied to the supply of beds. And so it can be limited in terms of the growth of inpatient discharges if bed supply is limited. In fact, we saw bed supply nationally go down from 2016 to 19 by 1.3%. Interestingly, the growth that we are projecting for pediatrics has to do with the fact that children's hospitals in particular, but some large IDNs, are investing in increased number of beds. We're seeing that really across the country because of the mental health crisis that we are in today that is particularly impacting adolescents. And so we do expect to see a higher growth, even though the demand would even surpass that probably for inpatient, we expect to see this higher growth due to this increased supply. It's great. You've both brought up pediatrics, which is something we haven't mentioned yet on this discussion. What's going on with the pediatric forecast? Well, the historic volumes saw a significant plummeting in pediatric volumes across the sites of care that was even more accentuated than adult. When you look a little closer, a lot of this had to do with the social distancing, the virtual school, the mask wearing, really reduced infectious disease, which is such a strong component of disease and sickness for children. But we did see that also play out for medically complex conditions, cystic fibrosis, cancer, other cases where patients were no longer getting 
sick from infectious diseases that were exacerbating their more severe complex condition. This really had a large impact on volumes, and we are seeing already in this year, 2022, volumes increasing due to social distancing measures going away, particularly the mask wearing. You may have heard the headlines in terms of spikes in certain pediatric infections like RSV coming at a different time in the year, but that really had to do with the relaxation of these social distancing measures. All right. As we close out our conversation today, any final thoughts or words or things that you would like to share with our audience? I think that the demand that we're going to see in healthcare is going to be exacerbated by this rise in chronic disease. And it's going to be across all sites of care, as Tori mentioned, this rising acuity, rising chronic disease, and shifts in site of care to those lower cost settings. It will put pressures on health systems and hospitals to really rethink alternative care models and care redesign and deploy digital solutions and home solutions. But with the workforce shortages and the capacity constraints that we face today, the demand projections really need to be considered in your planning. Are you able to grow? Will really depend on your capacity, your workforce, your quality performance. One thing that I wanted to mention that Tori and I are working on is a more rigorous validation testing process for our forecast. We've always done validation testing. We've reported on that and we use it internally as well. But now we have availability of more rigorous data sets that help us understand the actual volume changes that we can now compare our old historic forecasts to. We are going to be releasing a report out of the findings from this year, which look at our 2016, 2017, and 2018 forecasts, both national and market forecasts. What we found was that our forecast was very accurate overall. And when we went a layer deeper to service lines, we found our forecast was also very accurate in terms of projecting inpatient demand. On the outpatient side, we're looking at new data sources as well to be validation testing our forecast. So stay tuned for that. Well, thank you, Maddie, for sharing that last thought with us. It's important to highlight the validation piece, right? That's a lot of effort to go back and do that on our part. And I think it's much appreciated to show, I know, where we have been right on and where we've maybe missed a little bit. It helps us, I know, to create a better forecast as well. And thank you all to our listeners today for joining us to hear about the 2022 Impact of Change forecast. If you want to dig deeper, look for our service line releases coming up in the next few months with our publications and our webinars and all the other things that we use to get our forecast out to our clients. Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, please subscribe, rate and review us and or follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn at SG2 Healthcare. And if you want to talk more about innovative healthcare strategies, you can always email me at sg2perspectives at sg2.com. Finally, SG2 is a Vizient company, and there are a bunch of Vizient podcasts that you might like. You can find them at Vizient backslash podcasts. Have a great day.